This is a message by Pastor Mark Fox of Antioch Community Church in Elon, North Carolina. For other sermons from Antioch, you can visit the church website at antiochchurchnc.org. Now, let's turn our hearts to the Word of God. Good morning, Antioch. I love that. And happy Father's Day to our fathers who are here. We're so thankful for y'all. We are reading in Genesis chapter 13. We're going to read the whole chapter, verses 1 through 18. And I'll ask you to stand up with me in honor of God's word. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him into the Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel, to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and A, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that that the land could not support both of them dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zor. This is before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other, and Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled amongst the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at the Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you, worship team. John just stepped up like a pro, didn't he? Like the pro that he is. Where is he? Did he leave? (laughs) He ran out the back door. John did a great job, brother. I knew you would. (laughs) It's good to be back. Good to be with you guys. I appreciate the great teaching that we all heard last week, the last two weeks from Brent and Jeremy. I don't see either one of them here, so uh, I can't thank them in person this morning. But you remember, as Jeremy taught us, that Abram showed a lack of faith 
right in Egypt. He showed a lack of faith that damaged his wife. It damaged the Pharaoh. It damaged the people in the Pharaoh's court. And ultimately, it damaged uh, Abram himself because they were shown the door, right? Here's the door. Don't let it hit you on the way out of Egypt, right? So what we'll see this week, it seems like Abram has learned from that failure. It it seems like he's he's taken a step back into faith. Isn't that the way it happens for us a lot of times? Somebody said, you know, what is wisdom? The answer, uh, learning to to do the right thing. Well, then, how do I learn to do the right thing? And the answer, often by doing the wrong thing, right? And then you learn, that wasn't good. Let me do it the right way. Look, we don't always have to learn about that. We don't always have to choose, we should never choose, to run in the opposite direction of God's will. But even if we choose to run in the opposite direction of God's will, the grace of God, just like with Jonah, will come and find us, right? Maybe painful, maybe a process, but he will find us and bring us back. Why not choose to run the right way every time and by God's grace we will grow in wisdom. So speaking of going the wrong way, Lot's the poster child for that today in this text, isn't he? Uh, we'll, we'll learn about that as we look at this passage under three main points. Strife begins, Lot's choice, and then Abram's blessing. Strife begins. You know, Abram returned with everyone in his family from Egypt, all of his possessions. He came back to the very place he had left to go into Egypt. Right? It's a place near Bethel. Bethel means house of God. And from when he was there before, he had built an altar and worshipped. And when he came back, the very first thing he does is worship. He's wealthy, we're told, in livestock, in silver and gold. This guy has loaded. But he's not trusting in the things that he has. He's trusting in God. And that's why the first thing he does when he gets back to Bethel, near Bethel, is he worships. What about Lot? Well, we see he's also wealthy. The nephew of Abram is wealthy. He has flocks, and he has herds, and he has tents. Does he worship? Well, we're not told. We can't make an argument from silence. and We can't say Lot did not worship, but there's no indication of that. There's no mention of that, which I think is significant here. So Abram and Lot had so many flocks and herds that it became a problem, right? It was a problem. Why? Well, basically, the herdsmen, the men who worked for Abram and the men who worked for Lot began to argue and bicker and quarrel and there was strife because there was not enough land. There was not enough water. We're also told that the Canaanites and the Perizzites are also in the land, which means they're competing for the same land and the same water And look, if Abram and Lot are at odds with each other and there's strife between these two camps who are connected, that makes them vulnerable to the enemy, doesn't it? The warring tribes that are not friendly to these people now have an upper hand. Now, if you're keeping count, strife, here it is, this is the first mention. Remember I told you, mark the first mentions in the scriptures. They're they're instructive for us. They help us understand really the the origin of that whole idea. This is the first mention of strife. Is it the last? (laughs) Oh, no. In fact, we'll see more than 40 times in the Bible strife. And even in Genesis and Exodus, we see some significant examples of that. Isaac will strive with Abimelech over wells, water. Right? Jacob will strive with Laban over wages. We never do that, do we? And then the people of Israel in Exodus will strive with 
God over water. Well, they, they're mad at Moses, but they're really angry with God because there is no water. But you know what? And, and, and after that, uh, Moses named that place Meribah, which means striving. And then the psalmist writes about it. Today, if you hear his voice, this is Psalm 95, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as at striving. You know what that tells me? Striving unresolved leads to hard hearts. That's a bad place to be, isn't it? But you know what? The, the book of Proverbs leads the way when it comes to strife. Fourteen mentions out of the 40 in the Bible are in Proverbs. It's the book of wisdom. And if strife is a part of our life, then we need wisdom from God. And here it is. The Proverbs tells us how to deal with it. The word there means claim and counterclaim. It means two people or two parties disagree, and that disagreement rises to the level of contention and quarreling, and each party makes a claim against the other. You did this. No, no, you did this. This never happens at your house, does it? Right? We see it in our children sometimes. I remember one time when our kids were little, one of them, I don't remember who it was. I really don't remember who it was. But one of our boys gathered all the best toys in the house before anybody else got up. Gathered them all. Made a big pile of them right next to him. And he sat down beside him. And I walked in and I said, what are you doing? He said, they're mine first. I got them first. You see, he was, he was anticipating strife. And so he's preparing his counterclaim against what was going to happen when his siblings woke up and pounded him? You know, we, we strive over stuff more than anything else. Here they're striving over land and water. We strive over things. What's the biggest thing that can divide a family? The death of the parents. Right? We see it every time. I mean, with Christians and with non-Christians. All that needs to happen is for mom and pop to die, and there is a huge battle over what? Stuff. Who's going to get this, and who's going to get that? You know, I remember, I remember Paul saying, you know, why are you taking your brother over, uh, to court over something? It's 1 Corinthians 6. He says, why are you taking your brother to, come to court? He says, look, why not rather be wronged than to go to battle over Stuff. Well, that's what strife does. So what do we do when strife begins? How do we deal with strife? Because it's inevitable in families. It's inevitable in businesses. It's inevitable even in churches. We've had our, our share of strife, maybe more than our share in 35 years. So how do we deal with it? Well, again, Proverbs is helpful. Here's a great verse. Proverbs 17, 14. The beginning of strife is like letting out water. So quit before the quarrel breaks out. In other words, think of a dam and the water's starting to trickle out. Man, once that water starts to trickle out of the, out of the dam, what happens? The dam's going to break and there's no getting that water back. And so, and so the writer of Proverbs says, look, at the very beginning of strife, just quit it. Just quit. Refuse to engage. Refuse to involve yourself in that strife. Why not rather be wronged? As Paul said, Another verse is, is, um, is Proverbs 20, verse 3. It is an honor. You wanna, hey, you men on Father's Day, you want to you wanna be honored today? We all want to be honored, don't we? Men and women, boys and girls. Here it is. It is an honor for a man to avoid strife. But every fool will be quarreling. Right? 
It doesn't take much to start a quarrel, but fools do that all the time. Every, every man who wants to be honored should avoid strife. So strife broke out between the men who worked for Lot and the men who worked for Abram. Who seeks to resolve it? See that in the text? Abram. Abram. He didn't go to court. He didn't go on social media and slam Lot for what his men were doing. He went to Lot. He went to his face. He went to his nephew. And he said, simply said, let there be no strife between you and me. And then what does he say, what does he say after that? For we are kinsmen. We are brothers. We are family. Why should we who are family be divided over material things? I love this picture here. Here's it. Here it is, guys. You got strife? Go. Meet. Talk. Pray. Work it out. I, I've known people who were so angry at somebody in their family. You know, I could give you some examples, but, but uh, my wife and my grandmother, my, my mother-in-law would be mad at me. But I can give you some examples of people in our own family who've been so mad at each other, they don't speak for several years, and it's over stuff. Go, meet, talk, pray, and probably hug after that. So these two men, Abram and Lot, then make a choice that will impact the rest of their lives, both of them. Abram chooses to be generous with his nephew. He offers him the whole land. He, he just puts his arms out like this and says, Hey, Lot, you can go anywhere, man. Just look around. You can, you can go anywhere. Take your, your people and your stuff and go best spot. Take, take, take whatever you want. You choose. So we get to Lot's choice. What, is this, what, is this, what does this tell you about Abraham? What has happened to Abraham? Because in Egypt, his fear, remember? Jeremy did such a good job breaking this down last week. His fear caused him to walk by sight. Not by faith. Right? He was afraid of what might happen to him if Pharaoh saw how beautiful his wife is. And so he, he walks by, by sight in fear. And now, here he is. He's able to walk by faith with Lot and not by sight. He's able to offer Lot his own choice, any portion. Why? Because he believed in the promises of God that God would take care of him. Abraham was reminded. I wonder if when he got back from Egypt and he worshipped again near Bethel at the altar he had built before he went to Egypt and he worshipped, I wonder if God whispered in his ear, Hey, Abram, you know you handled that whole thing with Sarah wrong, right? You know that, right? You can trust me, Abram. I've got you. I've got your family. Remember, I promised you, I will bless you, and I will make you a great day. Listen, trust me, Abram. I wonder if that happened. Because all of a sudden, Abram is absolutely different. Alan Ross says, those who walk by faith can be magnanimous. Big word simply means really, really open-hearted and generous with other people. And then Marcus Dodds, there is room in God's plan for every man to follow his most generous impulses. I remember the book years ago I read by Stephen Covey called Seven Habits of, of Highly Effective People. And he made kind of a similar point when he talked about the difference between scarcity and abundance. The, the people that have a scarcity mentality and the people who have an abundance mentality. All right, what does that mean? 
Well, the abundance mindset means you know there's enough to go around that God has it all, right? He's the owner of all the cattle on a thousand hills. He's got it all. And so you're happy with what you have, and you're happy with what your brother and your sister have. You're fine with them having stuff too. Scarcity mindset, just the opposite. Whenever you gain, that's something I lost, right? You increase, that means I didn't get what I should have had. And so that leads to competition, and it leads to strife. You know, it seems to me, I'm pretty simple-minded, I know, but it seems to me that Christians should be just about the only people in the world who have a complete abundance mentality. Why? Because of our Father, right? Because of who our Father is. Jesus was trying to, he was trying to explain this to the disciples. He said, look, guys, he said, don't worry about your life. That pretty much covers everything, doesn't it? He said, don't be anxious about your life. And then he broke it down. And what you will eat and what you will wear, stuff, don't worry about that. Why? And then he gave us this promise. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure. Not doing it grudgingly. It's his good pleasure. He delights in it. He loves it to give you the kingdom. That is an amazing promise that can make us walk in a different way towards other people and with regards to stuff. If we embrace that, as I believe Abram did here with Lot. In other words, we can, we can look up and have faith instead of look around and have doubts or fears. Look at verse 10. Look at verse 10 again. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw. He saw the Jordan Valley was well watered. Look at that phrase, like the garden of the Lord. Now look, it says, I don't think there's any mistake here that Moses, who's writing to the children of Israel in the wilderness after coming over the Red Sea, right, having escaped Egypt, I don't think there's any mistake. He's comparing Lot's choice here to somebody else when he says, like the garden of the Lord. Who was it? who looked up and saw the fruit that it was pleasing to the eye and it looked good for food and she took it and she took a bite and then Adam did the same thing, right? He's talking about the choice that Adam and Eve made in the garden and it was a selfish choice. It was self-motivated. It was, this is what I want and so I'm going to take it. You know, I taught about Lot's choice at the men's retreat last year. You guys remember that? Of course you don't. But look, one of the things I said in that, and in, in when I was teaching about this, was that Lot, if, if, if I was Lot, I, you know, and I, I would have done the same thing probably, but if I was Lot and I was really doing the right thing, I would have said, look, dude, I'm not going anywhere. Uncle Abram, dude, I'm not leaving your side. Wherever you are, it's like that Ruth thing, whither thou goest, you know, I go. Right? If you leave me, I'm going with you, kind of thing. But I know that's not realistic. I know that's not practical because they really were in a place where there was not room for them. So Lot had really no choice to go somewhere. But what could Lot have done? I, I came up with two ideas. I think he could have said, Uncle Abram, why, why should I have first choice? I mean, you're my uncle. You're the man God has chosen to bring us and to lead us you know, all the way from Ur of the Chaldean to this place, and God is using you. 
I want you to choose. Please, please, uncle, you choose. You take first. You know, I'm just your lowly nephew. Please take the first choice. Could have done that. Or he could have at least said, Uncle Abram, look, I saw where you built that altar. Can I just, can you just give me some time? I, I want to go and worship at that altar, if you don't mind, and, and I want to hear from God. I, I don't want to just make this choice, you know, in my flesh. I want to hear from God. Where, where would he have me to be? Either one of those choices, I think, could have saved Lot a lot of suffering and heartache. He didn't either. He simply lifted up his eyes, he saw, and he took. You know, those who walk by faith are blessed. Those who walk by, by sight are often deceived. And that's what we happen here. Lot's going to take the better land and the bigger problems. He doesn't know the bigger problems, but they're going to be bigger problems, right? He takes the better land, the bigger problems, and then Abram takes the more difficult land along with God's blessing. Hey, which one would you rather have? Difficulty with God's blessing heaped upon you or perfect conditions with all kinds of problems and strife that come along with them? Hello? Yeah, I'm going to take this one, right? But a lot of times in our flesh, we take the exact opposite, don't we? I'm going to take what I want that looks good and I'll pay the price later. Ken Hughes writes, this is kind of strong. He says, Lot was the kind of man who would certainly choose heaven over hell if given the choice, but not heaven over earth. Material prosperity was the bottom line. Now look, the Bible calls Lot righteous Lot, 1 Peter. I believe it's 1 Peter. So there's some good things about this young man, but at this point in his life, he's making a big mistake. Verses 12b and 13, if you look there, it says, Lot moved his tent as far as Sodom. And then the foreshadowing was to come. Do you see that foreshadowing verse? Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. This is a rare description in the Bible of sin and moral depravity at a level that is uncommon. Now look, moral depravity is the fact, right? All of us are born morally depraved. But this phrase says these people living in this area... We're living at a level lower than the ordinary garden variety sinner. And Lot settles near there. And later we'll see that he moves in there. And then we'll see that it moves into him, that Sodom becomes part of who he is. We'll see in the story that truth of the adage, you've heard this adage before, I'm sure. Sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. Sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. Well, that leads us to God's blessing of Abram. God now turns his attention to Abram, verse 14. He says, I love the picture here. Lot lifted up his eyes. You see the difference? Lot lifted up his eyes and found the most desirable land and claimed it for himself. Lot saw and took what he saw. But the Lord says to Abram, now that Lot's gone, the Lord says to Abram, hey, Abram, lift up your eyes. Go ahead, Abram, lift up your eyes and look. Look to the north and the south and the east and the west because, Abram, everything you see, I'm going to give to you and your offspring. Remember, Abram is an old man, and he has how many children? That would be zero. Thank you, Jeff. He has zero children. 
And God says, I will give to your offspring everything you see. And in fact, Abram, I will make your offspring, love this simile, as the dust of the earth. Abram, if you were able to get down and, and just walk on the, the earth, the whole cover of the earth, and every little grain of dust you find, and you could count all the dust in the earth, oh, that would be how you could count the offspring you're going to have, Abram. Go ahead, Abram. Then he says, walk the land, walk the land, walk the length and breadth. He uses those two words, walk the length and breadth of it, because I give it all to you. You know what that reminded me of? That, that beautiful prayer that Paul prayed for the Ephesian church. Look at this. For this reason, Paul says, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of of God. You see what's happening there? Christ does dwell in our hearts by faith. He came in our hearts by faith. He dwells there by faith. Christ does root and ground us in his love for us. But Paul's saying here, I'm praying for you because it is God's desire and it's my desire as well that you come to understand how much he loves you. How high and how deep and how wide and how long he loves you because it's in the process of growing in the knowledge of the love of Christ for you, the love that surpasses knowledge, the love that goes way beyond what we can understand with our minds, but we must choose to believe with our hearts. It's in that process that we are being filled with the fullness of God. It's an amazing promise. When he says, breadth and length and height and depth. He's not talking about the earth. He's not talking about land. He's not talking about stuff. He's talking about Christ's love for you. You know, Cindy and I, when we were away, we talked a little bit about uh, muscle memory. And it was because we had heard Brent speak about muscle memory in his sermon two weeks ago. I don't know if you remember that, but he talked about muscle memory. Muscle memory happens when, you, that's it right there, when you repeat and act enough times that it becomes automatic. Remember how you learn how to drive a car? Is any dad right now working with a young person and head teaching them how to drive a car? Is that going on with anybody? All right, I feel your pain, brother. So here's the thing. When you're learning how to drive a car, what's the biggest problem? Learning how to use the brake, right? Because in the beginning, almost whiplash, almost visits to the chiropractor. But then after a while, what happens? It becomes second nature, I mean, how many of you think about, you know, look down at the brake to find it and, and make sure you put your right foot and not your left foot on it when you're coming to a stop sign? I hope none of you do that, right? Because <laughs> you're dangerous to everybody on the road. I'm dangerous for other reasons, but not braking. I'm good with that, especially at the last second, right, babe? All right, so here's the thing. What happens here is muscle memory. You do it so many times that it's automatic. You do not have to think about breaking. There's so many applications for this. Here's one I think would benefit all of us. Remind yourself daily that God is for you, that his promises are true for you, that his love for you is as, as unchanging as God is. 
muscle memory. Develop that muscle memory of thinking that. Your brain is a muscle too. Develop that brain muscle to remind yourself of God's love for you. And then that you can be gracious and loving and kind to everyone. That you can let others be first and you can be a servant to everyone just as Jesus was. <laughs> what was the biggest shock for us? Somebody, we've had two people ask that. What was the biggest shock coming back from London? You know what? In London and all of England that we went to, everybody there was so polite. They were so polite. Everywhere went, people were polite. If they bumped you in the tube, they said, oh, sorry. I mean, everybody was polite. You know what was a shock? TSA in the Philadelphia airport when we got back. Hey, remember, you cannot bring water. Sir, I see you with that water. You better drink that water right now because you try to, if you even think about bringing that water up to this place. I mean, the guy was unbelievably rude. He needs to meditate on this every day. <laughs> hey, dude, God loves you. He does. And you can love other people the same way. You know, young people, I know young people struggle with this nowadays. It's epidemic. Young people struggle with anxiety. Look, this, this practice right here would tremendously help you in overcoming your anxiety because what's happening with anxiety? You're in your head. You're thinking your thoughts. You're thinking about yourself and what other people think about you and, and how you may have done something wrong and you haven't confessed that yet or, or maybe how you haven't done the right thing here or whatever and you're always in your head. Look, start meditating on the fact that God loves you just the way you are when you're, when you're doing just the thing you're supposed to do and when you're not. God's love has not changed. He loves you perfectly. You know, the other night we had the young people uh, at, the, at the Moore's house. They're on vacation right now. They're not here, but, but what a great time we had. But I loved it. Brad asked, he's 18 young people seated in a circle in, this, in their living space, and the Costellos and, and Cindy and I were there, and Brad and Janelle, and Brad, Brad asked the question, okay, young people, and these were high school and college-age kids. If you're an introvert, raise your hand. Do you know how many people raised their hand out of 18 young people? That would be 17, right? We had one person in the room, I won't call her name, but she was the only, bless her heart, the only extrovert in the whole crowd dealing with all these introverted, inward-turned people. Look, introverts are not necessarily inward-turned. But what I saw happen that night with all these so-called introverts was them taking time to love on each other and get to know each other and engage in the games and have fun and laugh and, and, and just have a blast. And so he, he, that's a testimony, first of all, to you parents, you fathers and your mothers who are teaching and training your children that God loves you. Yeah, you have a different personality than your sister or your brother, but God loves you just the way you are. And he's given you, you opportunities to serve other people, so take advantage of those. It was wonderful to watch. So where do we leave Abram? He's settled by the Oaks of Mamre near Hebron, which is about 20 miles south of Bethlehem, where generations later, the fruit of all these promises of God will be born, Jesus. And there Abram builds an altar, again, because Abram's greatest desire is for God. He worships God at the altar. But don't be mistaken. 
Everything we saw Abram do in his dealings with Lot is an act of worship. What did, what did Jeremy call it last week? Coextensive worship, right? Big word simply means all that we do, whatever we do, whether we eat or drink, all that we do, whether we put on clothes, whether we go to the store, whether we work in the yard, doesn't matter. All we do is for the glory of God, right? And everything that Abram did in his relationship with, with Lot was worship. And next week we'll see him uh, come to Lot's rescue. It's an amazing story. And here's the thing. Here's the thing, guys. Listen. We can act like Abram in Egypt one day, can't we? Walk by sight, not by faith. Act out of fear, not faith. Do the wrong thing instead of the right thing. And then the very next day, we're magnanimous, we're generous, we're open-hearted, and we give and we serve and we love because we suddenly go, wait a minute, I, I did not believe God's promises for me yesterday, but today I'm going to believe God's promises and I'm going to walk in that. We're just like that, aren't we? Our desire is for the faithless days to become fewer and farther and farther and farther between, right, uh, the faithful days. We want more of those faithful days, by God's grace. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for Abram and for his example, but we're thankful most of all for you and your love and your mercy and grace that's given to us in abundance so much every day that we could not even begin to appropriate all of it. I pray for my, my family of faith here that I'm a part of, my brothers and sisters, that all of us, Lord, would exercise that muscle memory and grow in our uh, faith, walking by faith, grow in our love for one another, grow in our willingness to, to be wronged even and to, to, to suffer loss, um, Lord, in, in order to avoid and to overcome strife. Lord, to grow in our understanding of who we are so that we're not living in our head and and, and always anxious about decisions or about uh, who, we, who we are before other people, Lord, that we would be settled in you. Lord, you never slumber, slumber or sleep. We sang our brother's song this morning, and it reminded me of that, that you who never slumber and never sleep, give us a place to rest. Help us to find that rest. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Mark Fox of Antioch Community Church in Elon, North Carolina. Antioch meets every Sunday for worship at 10 o'clock a.m. at 1600 Powerline Road in Elon. You can download other messages by Pastor Fox at antiochchurch.cc. You can also learn how to order his books or subscribe to his blog at jmarkfox.com.